0: On Jesus, isn't that a great little chorus? And and it's interesting that and most of us have probably experienced this. When when we do, when we do turn our eyes on Jesus and we focus on Him, the earth, the things of the world, they do kind of grow dim a bit. And and it's it's a little bit strange, you know, because we're we're told in our culture that it's all about the world, it's all about your stuff, it's all about the things that you have and the places you go and the things you do. But when we turn our eyes on Jesus, all of those other things grow strangely dim. And actually this morning we're going to be looking at at some history, some Old Testament passages where where things to the people that were living in that culture in that day, the the things that they were experiencing, they were experiencing them in sort of a dim, lit fashion, sort of in a shadow way. And, and what we get today is the clear, clear picture of what God was doing. Um, it, we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Now, if this is your first Sunday here and you weren't here last week, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, Jesus is just in the New Testament. He's, I've never seen His name in the Old Testament. He's, he's not there, but I'm telling you, He's there. And, and we're going to see it through the coming weeks. And, and I think we saw a little bit of it last week. Last week we looked at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And if you read the rest of chapter 1 and in John, you'll see that later the, the author says that this Word is Jesus. And that all things were made through him, and that he was there in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, then God said, "Let us make man in our image in our likeness." And, and the reference there is to the Trinity: the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, this us present at the very beginning of all of creation. Jesus is a part of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son. And Holy Spirit. Now, I gave you some homework last week, and some of you did it, and I so appreciate it when I, I extend a challenge and, and some people take me up on the challenge. And uh, I, I appreciate your, your searching for Jesus. Now, some of you, I hope you weren't offended. I, I emailed you back and I said, I want you to do a little more searching uh, because we'll tend to look at a passage. Maybe a psalm or another passage will say, yep, that's Jesus right there. And the question that I then have is, why do you say that that is Jesus? It's kind of like the fire marshal. Yeah, you think that that's going to take an hour and a half to burn, but what makes you think that? I need to, I need to, you need to show me your homework. Right? So when you email me this week, which you will, I know I'm going to get at least a dozen more, uh, from people who are searching for Jesus in the Old Testament, and when you find him, I want you to tell me why you think that's Him. Where are there other or New Testament passages that are referencing this Old Testament thing? Or, or, or why, why would, you, would you tend to think that? Now, we don't ever find the name Jesus in the Old Testament. And, and when I say we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament, I'm talking about the divine person, the second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the great high priest, the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Captain of the host, the fairest of 10,000, the son of man, the angel of the Lord, the rider on the white horse, the son of David, the seed, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and Omega, the desire of all nations. He is the one who must always be the object of our love and trust, the one we follow, the one we serve, the one we put our faith and trust in, Jesus and I think a solid case can be made that understanding the Old Testament and how God works in the Old Testament can encourage us and give us strength to live today in our culture, in our time, our, our piece of the historical timeline. And that understanding the Old Testament and seeing Christ in that story of redemption helps us to hold on to our Lord and Savior today, no matter what's happening in your life or what's happening In mind. Now, have you ever had one of those experiences where you knew some information about a situation, but you didn't know the whole story? Now, sometimes that can get us in trouble, can't it? Like, maybe it was something that happened to one of your children when they were in elementary school or middle school or high school, and you knew some of the the things about what happened to them, but you didn't know the whole story. And so you judged your child or you treated them such that that you had the full story. And you children out there, and I was one as well, sometimes we hope to keep the full story away from our parents. Right? But sometimes it would do us it would be better if they knew the whole story and could really understand what was going on. Sometimes we have to eat a little crow when we when we base a decision or something on only part of a story. So so we need the full the full thing. Now at camp Pastor Ty had this game called, I think it was called, What Is It? What Is It? Where we would show a picture. He would zoom into a picture and just show a little piece of the picture, and the kids would try to guess what that was, and then we would zoom out, and it would be, what, okay, now what is it? Do you know what it is? And then eventually you get out to the real picture. Well, I thought it would be kind of fun for us to play that this morning. Um, first of all, I wanted to see if any of you guys recognize this shadow. Anybody know who that is? It's the Death and Fances. Pastor Ty, Sarah, yeah, it's those guys. Now, go back to the other picture. No, the other one. That, yeah, 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 that would Okay, now, y- you can see it, right? Now, if Ty had a baseball cap on in this next picture, you would be like, oh, of course, right? Of course that's the Destin fans family, right? All right, let's, let's, let's go on. Roy, let's go to this next one. Do you know what this is? What is it? And when you think you know, you can just guess. Okay, let's go to the next one. I'm only giving you three pictures, so this is your last actual hint, actually. Does anybody have any clue what this is? What? Um, well, not really a jewelry box, but it is a box of sorts. Let's go to the last picture. It is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Ty this morning was like, they found it? How did they get... That's probably what it would have looked like or something similar to that, right? Okay, let's go to the next one. What is it? It's a log, a dead tree, yes, but but more specifically, I guess, where is it? Um, Go to the next picture. Okay. What? I'm hard of hearing, so you're going to have to speak up, I guess. Now, the question really, again, is what is it? Because you're not seeing the whole thing. You're not seeing what the picture is actually of. Okay? Any guesses? What is it? A moose! Yes! Oh, did did you guess after he put it up there? Uh, that's up at the snowy range. And uh, as as just after we snapped that picture, we were taking family pictures up on the hillside, and all of a sudden our dog jumps up and starts running towards the pickup, and we look, and the moose is coming our way. And uh, we... We decided that maybe we could get into the pickup really quickly too. okay, one more. I'll give you one more. What is it? Okay, what let, let's give them a hint. What is it? A statue? That's a great guess. One more one more picture. What is it? <laughs> Now, go to the final picture and I see Craig didn't fix it. I told him he should fix this. It's like stretched, right? So look at those broad shoulders my wife has in that picture. She is like... So, you know, we can have a small picture of something and and sort of have a little bit of an idea about what it might be, but it's not until we get the full picture that we truly understand all, all that it is. And, and that's one of the things that we're going to look at today. Uh, we we are looking at a longitudinal theme today. It it's, it's also fits into the redemptive historical progression. What we're looking at is we looked at those things last week, or these are these are the ways that you can look for Jesus in the Old Testament. It's also a, another illustration in the, the title of your sermon notes there. The sermon is black and white to high definition. Now, how many of you in this room, by a raise of hands, have have not not watched now I'm not talking a black and white TV show I'm talking a black and white TV okay by a raise of hands I want to see how many who have never watched a, an actual black and white television raise your hand okay pretty much everybody that's under 20 right right I, I actually had a black and white television when I was in junior high in my room and it had rabbit ears and I could get one channel and that was good enough right Now, if you watched a a movie, say, um, um, let's see, I don't know, let's say The Lord of the Rings um, in black and white, and then you watched it on one of our flat panel high-definition televisions today, which do you think would be better? Yeah, it's a no-brainer, right? Um, Anybody in here watched the Stanley Cup playoffs, the, the, the last championship? Raise your hand. Um, Any of you that watched it have Dish Network because this is one hang-up I have about Dish Network. You can't get NBC in HD on Dish Network. It's not in HD. It's just a regular standard definition picture. I struggled to see the puck. I kid you not. I couldn't see the puck at times because it was all fuzzy. You're telling me you got it, aren't you? Oh! I don't know what I did wrong, but... Anyway... The network that I got, the NBC network that I... Oh, thanks. I have a pair right here. It's just, no, I mean, when we first got a high-definition television years ago, some in my family, and I won't say who, said there's no difference. There's no difference between standard definition and high-definition. I'm like, can't you see it? It's right there. Here, let me flick back from channel to channel, right? That's what we're doing today. We're going to look at something that, that actually the Bible says, the Bible itself says, when these things happened, they were a shadow. They were, they, were, they were not clear. And today, we are living in the age. We are living in the time of life when we have it clear. When we have the, the mystery is explained to us and we know it. And that, that encourages me. That makes me happy. It, it makes me hopeful and I hope that it will you as well. So, with really, really broad brush strokes, um, we're going to go through some Old Testament history. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. It's the second book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from underneath the chair and uh, and read this along with, with us. Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2 to begin with. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Let's stop right there. Before we go on... You will read, as you read things about the Old Testament and as you think about finding Jesus in the Old Testament, you're going to read um, theologians, you're going to read philosophers who, who key in on this phrase right, right here, the angel of the Lord. Okay, And I just want to give you a brief uh, description, some thoughts about this on, on a website called gotquestions.com. It's one of the apologetic websites that I go to to do some research. This is what they say about the angel of the Lord, okay? The precise identity of the angel of the Lord is not given in the Bible. However, there are many important clues to his identity. There are Old and New Testament references to angels of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord. It seems when the definite article, the, is used, it is specifying a unique being, separate from the other angels, the angel of the Lord speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and exercises the responsibilities of God. In several of these appearances, those who saw the angel of the Lord feared for their lives because they had seen the Lord. Therefore, it is clear that in at least some instances, the angel of the Lord is a theophany or an appearance of God himself in physical form. And so that's, I believe, what, what Moses is experiencing. He, he's this burning bush. It's It's on fire. And, and as, we go, as we go on, you're going to see it. Um, the Lord speaks to him and says, You're, you're on holy ground. Uh, to continue from, from gotquestions.com, the appearances of the angel of the Lord cease after the incarnation of Christ. Angels are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament, but the angel of the Lord is never mentioned in the New Testament after the birth of Christ. It is possible that appearances of the angel of the Lord were manifestations of Jesus before his incarnation. Jesus declared himself to be existent before Abraham in John chapter 8, verse 58, so it is logical that he would be active and manifest in the world. Whatever the case, whether the angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, also known as a Christophany, or an appearance of God the Father, a theophany, it is highly likely that the, that the phrase the angel of the Lord usually identifies a physical appearance of God. Now, as I said last week, we don't want to read things in that aren't there. So I want to caution us that, that we're careful about this. That, that there isn't absolute 100% this is what it is. But to me, it says, and it just goes towards, um, towards the point that God is at work all throughout the course of history. And, and, and it, whether the angel of the Lord is God himself or even a manifestation of Jesus Christ, it's God working. And, and we're going to see that as we continue through. Uh, I just wanted to mention that because you're probably, as you study and search and read in a study Bible or whatever, you're going to see some of some of that language. And I just wanted you to know, to know what that is. So, verse 3. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you, that is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to to generation, He says, go assemble the elders and say to them, this is what you are to do. Okay? Everyday life, the Israelites are experiencing. Everyday life. They're eating, they're working, they're, they're slaves right now. Um, just like events happen to us, they're happening to them. It, it's, it's time. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year. That's what they are experiencing just like we do. That's what's happening to Moses and the Israelites, and and that is what this is what I want to call the black and white. This is the black and white. Okay, this what we're seeing and we're seeing unfold here is the black and white. Um, the events are real, uh, but the Israelites, Moses, and the Egyptians ultimately they don't have the full picture. They don't. Ha- they're not seeing in high definition what's really going on here, and what this is is pointing to. So what does happen? Turn over a few chapters to Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, and this is after the all of the other plagues. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, They must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The lambs you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then you are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the raw, the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire. Head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it: with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The black and white is the Passover. It's the Passover. Verse 12, "...on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a (laughs) festival." To the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For generations, they are told they're going to be celebrating this. That yet it hasn't happened yet. They are told they're going to be celebrating this for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yet it hasn't occurred yet. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, uh, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day from the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day do not work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat that is all you may do celebrate the feast of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that i brought you divisions your divisions out of egypt again it hasn't happened yet celebrate this day as a long as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come in the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the fourteenth day until the evening of the twenty-first day, for seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native born. Eat nothing made with yeast wherever you live. You must eat unleavened bread. Now, the black and white, the Passover leading up to this, we, we find slavery and oppression. Israel is their slaves, and they're being oppressed by their... Uh, their the slave drivers by the Egyptians. And then and then in verse 21, it says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians... He will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. So we see that, that uh, the Israelites are, are in slavery and they're being oppressed. There's punishment coming. There's punishment coming to the Egyptians for not letting them go, and there's punishment coming for any, anyone in the Israelite community that doesn't follow this, that doesn't put blood on the doorpost of their home, there's going to be pain in their family this night if they don't obey this. So there's punishment coming. And, and then we have this sacrifice of the lamb. There's a sacrifice of an animal here. Now, where have we seen this before? Remember last week in, the very, in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, God has to shed blood in order to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. That's where this road starts. And this road continues on through the book of Genesis. And we see uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham is commanded to go sacrifice Isaac. And ultimately what happens? God provides a ram that in then is sacrificed. Blood is once again shed in the place of Isaac. And, and if you go to chapter 22 of Genesis and you read that, you will note two separate times God says... He doesn't just say... Um, sacrifice Isaac your son he says sacrifice Isaac your one and only son he says it multiple times in the book of Genesis and, and that should just throw us forward or backwards to Jesus God's only son he says it in, in, in John chapter 3 verse 16 but yet in this case a ram is provided in the place of Isaac and there is blood shed And then here we see again in Exodus chapter 12, verse 24, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, the promised land. Observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites. The parents are going to be telling the children, you wouldn't believe it. God said we were to do this and we obeyed him in faith and we did it and there was incredible screaming and wailing in the in in the the country of Egypt that night but we were saved. We were saved, we were protected, we were passed over. And and that's a great thing for us here this morning because when when we know things, we need to tell our children why when why do you come to church? Tell your kids, let them know. Why do we celebrate communion? Communicate it. Teach it. Let them know what this represents. Why, why, do we, why do we have a candlelight Christmas Eve service? Is it just because it's Christmas and everybody does it? Or are there reasons for this? Why do we celebrate Easter? Why, do we, why is that something special? Teach our kids. Let's tell them. And I say, let's tell them even if they don't ask. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded, verse 28. At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. That's, that's sin, isn't it? We're dead in our sin. But these, these Israelites in faith did exactly what God told them. They didn't know that what Moses says was going to actually happen was going to happen and they might have looked a little foolish if it hadn't, but they did it anyway. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their, home, of their homes and they got ready. They were ready. Staff in hand, cloak tucked into their belt, sandals on, they were ready to go. They were ready to go. And it happens exactly as God said it would happen. Those who put the blood on their doorposts are saved from death and those who don't aren't. Then the Pharaoh lets them go. They're free, no longer slaves, no longer oppressed by the Egyptians. They get their freedom. Someone emailed me this passage this week. They said the Passover lamb, a sacrifice for the firstborn of the Israelites. Jesus, the Passover lamb for us. Yes, a longitudinal theme. It's, it's, it's redemptive historical progression. It's moving towards us. Now, take a moment and look at this verse up on the screen with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law, the law, the sacrificial system, all of that, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's only by our faith in the sacrifice of the one. We're not living in the shadow age anymore. We're not. We are living in the HD age when it comes to salvation in Christ. The mystery has been explained over and over. Those who walked with Jesus and saw Him alive have explained it. So, so the high definition, high definition is salvation in Christ. It's salvation in Christ. And just like, the, like, like the, the Israelites experienced their freedom and they were passed over and they didn't, they didn't um, have to uh, feel the punishment of God, so, uh, so do we. As you and I in our faith in Christ have painted the blood of Christ on the doorpost of our lives, God passes over us when it comes to the punishment of sin. And, and he makes us one of his children, and we are given eternal life. So, just like the Israelites, we experience slavery and oppression in our world today. Sin. Those, those who have not been saved by Jesus Christ, those who have not trusted in him, they're just living life the only way they know how. When they make decisions to do whatever, um, things that, that we know the Bible commands against, that's all they know. That's all you and I knew before we were saved. The effects of sin in our life, slavery and oppression. Um, all sinners, as sinners, in the need of grace, we are in a bondage to sin. Now, in Acts chapter 7, and I really wanted to go here, and it was one of the things that got the Acts this week. Um, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, uh, before his stoning, recounts all of this that we've just talked about um, Moses and, and, and them being freed the Passover in Egypt. Because, and that's one of the reasons why I look back at this and say that well, it's it's just obvious, right? But but Stephen picked up this theme and he said this is what what God was giving us a picture of, and what we saw as a shadow then now we see in full clarity. So, uh, so there was slavery and oppression, and punishment is coming. Romans six twenty three says, "For the wages of sin is death." It is, it's hell. The wages of sin. Is, is, is hell. And, and Paul says that no one is good. Before Christ, the punishment of hell is coming when we die. It, it's just the truth. Everyone we know who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ today, if they were to die today, the Bible says that they would spend eternity in hell. But that verse doesn't stop there. It goes on and it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord, the Messiah, the Passover Lamb. And in history, where does that gift come from? It comes from the sacrifice, from the the shedding of blood... And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Lamb. Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and 3 says this, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. It's in Him that we must put our faith and trust. It's in Him that we find our salvation. And and we should do as Paul we should plead over and over, please, can you not understand this? I can see where we're giving up hundreds and hundreds of years of a sacrificial system would be difficult for, for the Jews, for the Israelites. But they saw Jesus. They, they, they heard about Him. They, they saw His miracles and they know what His claims were. And it's, they have to just give that up. And, and the things that you're holding on to in, in refusing to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, give it up. You've got to just let it go. Don't hold on to something that doesn't have the hope of giving you life and Jesus, uh, putting our faith and trust in Jesus does. And, and that's where we step into faith. Faith that in Christ, God will do what He has said He will do. And He will, because He has from the very beginning of time. Just like we see in the Old Testament. He will save us. And then we, we have freedom. We have such freedom in Christ. You know, freedom from the sacrificial system, freedom from, from doing this thing and that thing. And, and yeah, he gives us commands and, and we're to do those things, but there has been a sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But when this priest, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, He waits for His enemies to be made His footstool because by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In one sacrifice, Jesus did it. And I've said this many times. You just can't make this stuff up. You just can't do it. I mean, I, there are some great authors out there, but, but this stuff actually happened in the course of history. History. The the Israelites were a real people and they overcame all of the people in the Promised Land and and there are archaeological digs and and evidence and support of of where they were and what they did and and when they were there and and we have all of that. And 1,400 years after the Israelites left Egypt, which, which, by the way, was exactly to the day 430 years from the time that they came into Egypt. They were there 430 years. Jesus becomes the final Passover lamb. 1,400 years. And from that point on, we went from black and white shadow to the mystery has been explained, and now we have it. We are living in an HD world when it comes to Jesus Christ. We can be happy, we can be joyful, we can fall on our knees and worship. Because God has been working out His plan. Now, I want you to think about the circumstances of your life right now. You know, I I know, I know there's hard things going on in people's lives in in this room here this morning, and I know that it's probably crossed your mind. God, where are you? What are you here? Are you around? Um, are you doing anything? And and I can answer that an emphatic yes. He is, uh, because he hasn't stopped working. God, God was working, God was waiting for the right moment in time in the, in the history of the nation of Israel to do what he was going to do. He had Moses in the right place. And, and you know, I, I was thinking after first service this morning, the challenge, the challenge that I want to leave us with here this morning, what if, what if you're a Moses? You know, Moses was a murderer. He, he was raised in, in, a, in a pretty nice place in Egypt, but that didn't last. I mean, he killed an Egyptian, fled, found out that his own people didn't trust him and hated him, so he fled. And then, and, and then who did God use to bring the message that Israel was going to be free? He's Moses. So if you think there's anything in your life that can't be forgiven, or you think that there's anything in your life that can't be redeemed, it's a lie. Jesus Christ can redeem it. And I I wonder, I wonder what he has for you in your line of history at this moment in time. What is he doing in your life and in the life of your family to bring you to the place where he wants to use you in a certain way? What is he teaching you? What what was he teaching the Israelites through this whole process of of redemption and the Passover and the sacrificial system and, and, and then the prophets and then ultimately Jesus coming? What is it? And it it just it excites me to think about what God can do with all of us in our communities and in our families as we proclaim and we know the story of redemption. First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and twenty through twenty says, "For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ." a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Think about the time there. He was chosen before the creation of the world. God knew all along. God had plan A, and He's still working plan A out. And we can trust Him. But I think we need to look, you know, I, 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 I guess I kind of hope it doesn't take a burning bush to get our attention. You know, what are those things in your life? What are those things that God's trying to get your attention with? What What are those circumstances He's putting you in? What are those people who He's introducing you to and, and He's bringing into your life and, and maybe the job that He's giving you or the place that He's moving you to or, or whatever? God, what do you want to do with this? How can you use me as, as a person who can continue your your theme of redemption as it progresses so I hope that you're encouraged this morning I hope that you're challenged to continue to search for Jesus we're going to pick up some of these things that you submit Pastor Ty's going to be preaching next week we're going to be picking up some of these things and, and, uh, and doing them on Sundays as well so please, please engage in this search, read your Bible look into the Old Testament, let's pray Lord, thank you Thank you for your amazing grace, and and Lord, I thank you that we can look back at history. In the thousands of years that it's that that it's been going on, and we can know. We can know that you were working then, and we can know and trust that you're working now. Give us the faith, Lord. Give us the faith. Maybe there's someone here today, Lord, who just are just struggling with 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 faith. Lord, I pray that you would give them that faith this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not believed in You as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would right now, in this very moment, they would believe. They would believe in their heart that they would confess with their mouth that You are Lord and that they would be saved. Lord, thank You for our church family and just uh, what You're doing in all of our lives and I pray that You would uh, help us to share that with one another. to To continue to reach out into southeastern Wyoming with the good news of the gospel which we can see today in HD, in Jesus' name. Amen.